Welcome to the Sports and Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the next episode, you're laughing at me, of Sports and Torts. Absolutely love the feedback from everybody from listening to last week's Coaches Roundtable, where we had a really great discussion on U-Sports. So if you haven't listened to it yet, and hope you have, uh, what are you waiting for? Go check it out. But today we are back to some lawyer talk, some torts talk, if you will. Uh, joining us is my good friend Ann Gower of Gower, Wooten, Darneal. Ann is a defense lawyer, and we've had many cases together over the years. Uh, and when I see Ann and her firm's name pop up on the other side of cases with calls or emails or pleadings, I know I'll be dealing with a professional lawyer, a professional firm uh, who does things the right way, great job for their clients, and they treat opposing counsel and, and their process the right way. And really, what more can you ask for? It's all you can ask for. Uh, so, Anne, welcome. Appreciate you coming here today. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that. Like, when I see y'all's name and, and your name and Jason and your firms, like, it's just it's just good. You know, um, I know you're going to do a good job, and it's good that we can spend some time together outside of the law, right? Outside of our cases. So uh, I appreciate this time today. Well, I'm here. So I'm here. I have to admit, I've never done this. A little nervous, but I hope I do okay. You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Um, you know, us lawyers, we, we talk for a living, right? So the only difference now is we're just throwing a microphone in front of our faces. I talk for a living, but not about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to work through it. The only thing that, that I did wrong today so far uh, is that we should be doing this outside. I mean, the weather is phenomenal. It really does feel like football season and Braves playoff season. It's it, ready. It's finally fall, football season, Braves. I like I like the changing of the seasons clothes-wise, right? Get the, I see you wearing your boots. Get the boots out. Uh, Jason's probably got some boots and some quarter zips he wants to wear, right? <laughs> He does. It's a good, it's a good change. Um, so for those people out there that don't know you, very quickly, just introduce yourself, your family, where you're from, firm, all that good stuff. So Ann Gower, I'm from Columbus, Georgia, born and raised. My dad, Charlie Gower, and my brother Austin are still there. Family full of lawyers. I think there are eight of us, shockingly, total lawyers. It's a family business. <laughs> it is. So um, I basically start moved to Atlanta. Basically in college, every summer I came to Atlanta in college. So I've been here as far as I'm concerned from college on. Every summer in law school I lived here. I haven't lived in Columbus since high school. UGA? I graduated from UGA. I actually started in Birmingham Southern. And then I went from Birmingham Southern to Columbus State to Georgia all in one year. There you I, go. Three schools, one year. All right. Well, ended up in Athens and uh, go dogs, right? Two-time national championship. You think people get tired of us talking about that? Probably not. How about Jason? I mean, your husband is a Bama guy. How does he How does he deal with it? He has not gone off social media this year. Unlike when Alabama lost, I think, Ole Miss three or four years ago, he went completely off social media. He has not done it this year because I think he still tells me they have like seven or eight national championships and we only have two. Yeah, well, they can hold on to the past, but... The, the present is what we're living in right now. But you guys, if I remember correctly, y'all went together to National Championship game in Indy a couple of years ago, right? We, I think we've been to three or four together. Okay. And then we've gone with Tony. And every time we go, Tony Kalka's with us, another yeah. plaintiff's lawyer. So we've been to three or four in a row together. Y'all went to Bama Clemson and then Bama Georgia. 
Yes. And then probably some other ones too. But uh, I'd have to think that Bama and Georgia have been your favorite one so far, right? Yes. The one that Georgia won because we, yes. we played them and didn't didn't go so well. It so. did not, but we won one. Any so. wagers between you guys on the games? Nah. Not like nah. who's going to do the dishes or who's going to do the laundry or anything nah. like that? That's pretty much already set. Jason cooks and I do the dishes. Okay. He cooks you clean? Pretty much every okay. night. All yeah. right. What's his, what's his dish that uh, he goes to? He likes skirt steak. And he does chicken, stuffed chicken. Nice, nice. But yeah, he pretty much cooks every night and I clean every night. Okay, all right, I like it. All right, so you went to law school in California, which, which I, did. I did not know that until we were kind of preparing for this. So um, Whittier, is that the name of the law Whittier. school? Whittier, yes. Yeah, so I went to Whittier Law School in Costa Mesa. It's where um, Nixon went to college in Whittier. But Whittier, the law school was awesome. It was right in between Newport and Huntington Beach, 10 minutes inland. I had a blast. There you go. I imagine. I was just recently uh, out in Hermosa Beach. Right which there. Is, which is right there. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that that's where you went to law school. So how do you get work done? How do you focus on school? I mean, that is paradise out there. It was amazing. So I kind of am like that legally blonde girl. Yeah. I literally was the child or the girl that did the working out to the tapes, the manicures to the tapes and exercise. And I was done with school every day by noon. Yeah. And so, and the nice part was I had a bunch of guy friends. We went and partied or played till probably six or seven. Mm -hmm. And then we went home. Yeah. And then we woke up, went back to school the next day and did it, did again. it all over did it again. again. Uh, I was amazing. You have volleyball all day long out there on the beach. You got people up and down the boardwalks, surfing. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So how did a girl from Columbus, Georgia end up in Southern California for law school? I ended up there because at the time it was the only law school in the country that specialized in children's law interesting over family law so i went there and got a specialization to be a child advocate okay and then i came back here and the only job openings were with defects and casa and unfortunately that just doesn't pay the bills right but is that still something that you're passionate about i mean doing that I, kind of i still do it and i do it more so i don't do divorce work but i definitely have a lot of friends that have questions that the standard today is just the child advocate in the best interest of the child and all of that eventually i will get back to that just not now <laughs> gotcha kids bills all that kind of stuff yes that's pretty cool though that you had that kind of a focus at that age a lot of us go to college or law school and we're like we don't know really what the hell we want to do and just get our first jobs and go with it. But you knew right then there, is that because you grew up around lawyers and kind of had a sense of different work that was out there? I don't know how I ended up wanting to do children's law because obviously I do far from it as insurance defense litigation. But some of my best friends, like my best friend from in the world from, from mommy, Ohio, and I met her in law school and she's still highly involved in children's law. And so she does that. But I don't know how I decided I wanted to do it, but I went yeah. and loved it. Now, your dad um, was with plaintiff's work, right? Injury stuff. Is that always what he's done? Did you grow up kind of with him doing those cases and hearing him talk about it? And I grew up with my father being a lawyer, but he did not talk about the work really at all. All, it, all I knew when my daddy growing up was he was at work and you didn't call him before 630 unless it was direly urgent. And then at 630-ish, mom would let you call and be like, are you coming home? Where are you? <laughs> right. But other than that, nah, he really didn't talk about it. I yeah. just knew he did it. Now, he's still in the game there, right? Still working? He is. He just turned 82 last week. And he is still practicing and trying cases. Ever been an occasion where a case he's involved in comes across your firm's desk and you got to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
a few have come across, and I said, if daddy's got it and it's a minimum limits policy, you probably should pay him. <laughs> probably should pay him. Good, 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 good advice right there. We'll talk a little bit about kind of that thought process too, because um, you're the first person here on the podcast that can kind of educate people about how insurance policies work and the way they properly adjust them. Um, your first job back in Atlanta was a firm called Crim and Bassler. And is that when you first got exposed to doing this kind of defense work? So actually right before then, for maybe five or six months, I was at, God, the name excites me, a bankruptcy firm. And I was at a desk sitting next to the copier as a lawyer doing bankruptcy law. And then of all things, my dad mediated a case with Harry Bassler and said, my daughter needs a new job. And then six months later, Harry called me of Krim and Bassler and interviewed me. And then I was with Krim and Bassler for 13 or plus more years. So that was like my first long-term main job. Right. But I did bankruptcy for about a hot second. Quickly realized that was not going to be a thing for you. I, I think I could do bankruptcy for less than a hot second. But it was a job. It was a job. It was a job. So getting into the defense world, um, you, you liked it, doing the insurance policies, insurance company stuff, defending cases, trying case litigating. You just enjoyed it? I liked it because I know this is kind of strange, but it was a paycheck and you didn't have to like plaintiff's lawyers. I don't know how you do it. The stomaching of not knowing how much money comes in every month and the paychecks. I liked a salary. I like litigating. I didn't have to write briefs and memos and things like that. I had to do memos, of course, but no briefs. And then the stories, they the people were genuinely were appreciative you were helping them in their crazy stories. And I mean, every story was different. There's no two cases alike in the insurance defense world. There's nothing alike. So it was fun back then. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you you get the sense of the kind of case that you're going to be working on. But like you said, it's never the same case twice. And these people... Plaintiff side too. I mean, I'm not, you know, everybody has crazy issues going on and the way these things happen. Were you doing mostly car wrecks when you started out or was it a wide variety of stuff? I called myself the rear end specialist when I started out. All I did was rear end collisions. That's it. Rear end collisions. When I started, you know this, I started progressive in-house on the defense side and that's what I did too. And what a great way to learn. Like the liability is pretty much over, right? I mean, you've lost the case unless you can show the proper damage and, you know, this kind of stuff. But, um, you were focusing on other parts, like the proximate cause and the causation, the injuries and trying to resolve it or trying it. I mean, I got tons of of great trial experience very early on. Yes. I probably tried on average four or five cases a year right out of the bat, just tried cases. And that just doesn't happen anymore. No. Jury trials don't happen like that anymore, unfortunately. Unfortunately. The, the younger lawyers and people who listen to this podcast every week hear me say it a lot. Like, I feel bad that the younger lawyers will never get that sort of an opportunity. It doesn't happen as much anymore. It sadly doesn't happen, but there are still, which I throw, like, I had a lawyer start today. And poor thing, she walked in. She's like, what am I doing today? And I was like, well, you're covering a deposition for me today. I was like, have fun. Yes, good luck. Because so, we had a release and she just... She knew what she was doing, but I was like, here you go. But go that was how I started. You walked in and like the first day he was like, I'll take you to one trial, one med court and you're on figure your app yeah. and All figure right. it out. Yeah. Now you mentioned someone started today. You have your own firm now. Been several years. I don't remember exactly when y'all opened it up. You do. <laughs> it's about eight years. <laughs> about eight years. All right. So 2015, um, when y'all started, so you, and then I don't know Wooten. Um, obviously I know Jason. Um was it the three of y'all? What was the it genesis was the, of the firm? So it was really the four of us. So Tim Wooten, when we started, did South Carolina work. And then Robert Johnson. So it was Tim, 
Robert and Jason and I started it together with the four lawyers and the three main Georgia lawyers, because Tim was South Carolina and the three main Georgia lawyers were um, Robert, Jason and I. Yeah. And y'all have y'all have grown and done your thing, man. Um, I remember. So Jason was on here got a year or two ago on the podcast, and he was just saying that y'all just kind of followed the work like the work kept coming and you had to keep staffing it and keep getting attorneys. And, you know, that your clients loved you and trusted you and just kind of grew that way. Is that. Is he telling the truth? Is that, was that right? He is telling the truth. We just hired a couple of new lawyers to start that, you know, is kind of trying to find personalities that fit, that are fun, have a good time, and understand that, you know, work is work, but you still have to have fun and be polite to everybody. Your, your, your firm, I touched on this a little bit. I mean, y'all have, a, in my opinion, a, a distinct and unique culture that is very important to y'all, right? And, and it sounds like when you're making hiring decisions, it's got to be somebody that fits into that culture. Correct. Like we, we want to be a small firm. Now we're kind of like small to mid-size. But at the end of the day, the focus is on like a family trust environment. Like we don't have, say per se, vacation days for lawyers. We trust you to do your job. And if you do your job and I don't need to find you, then you're okay. Like we don't care where you are. Just we want the trust in everybody to work their cases, be happy where they are and want to come into work. Yeah. The vacation days is, is interesting because I do the same thing with my firm is that I don't need you to keep track of your eight or 10 or 12 or 15 or 20, whatever it might be. Like, you know what you got to get done, get it done. And then if you get sick or you need to take a trip with your family, like you're not going to hear me say no. And I think that creates an environment where people want to work harder. They want to do better and they want to show that the responsibility you're giving them, they're earning it and and deserve to keep it. Correct. That's the goal. And then if there's, we've had Thankfully, not going. Well, we have not had anybody abuse that really in the situation that stayed with us. So, because most of the people come and go, and your work is your work, and they take pride in the work, and we let them come and go as they please. You know, once you know what we have, some that are in the office, some that are remote, combination, whatever. But How, it's more fun in person. Yeah, for sure. I, <laughs> I agree. I mean, the, the 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 Zoom and the remote. There was a time and place for it, but people got to get back to the office. I mean, are y'all are y'all back now? Where everybody's we never left, really, and truthfully, during COVID. We never left. There was probably seven or eight lawyers that just wanted to come in because it's more fun. They wanted to get out of the house. So we probably have 10-ish lawyers that come in every day or a combination of coming and going every day in the Atlanta location. Then we have some in the Austell location that go every day. How do you deal with the, the younger attorney or younger uh, staff that says, well, look, I'm used to some sort of virtual environment. Like I want X amount of days per week out of the office because we're hearing that a lot, that those are requirements that people are now giving before they go work someplace. For those, we tell them you're probably not a good fit unless you're agreeing and understand that you need to be in the office six months to a year to learn everything because you just can't learn. Like I'm, if you're in my office, I'm happy to help you sit there wait and I can answer questions. But if you send me an email, you're going to get lost in the email chain versus if you're in the office yelling at me, not yelling at me, but be like, Ann, help me. Yeah. It's easier for me to do versus in the email chain of getting lost. I think it's short-sighted on people that, that are requesting all this like virtual work because like you just said, they're not going to get better at their job. They're not going to learn the, the, the ropes. They're not going to get the relationships with people like you. They'd get face-to-face. And so they're kind of doing themselves a disservice, I think. I would agree. And it's one of the things we talked about. I'm on the um, GDLA board of directors 
and the trial academy. And one of the things we talked about is the FaceTime with the younger associates who want to become partners. It's hard for a partner to know which associate's striving and wants to be and get to that level if they're not there. You, And then the other part is if you're not there, we can't see how stressed out you are. We can't read your faces or your body language to be like, I'm overworked or confused or don't understand what you've asked me to do if you're not there. Whereas if you're in my office, I can see that and I'm happy to help you. But if you're not there, I can't help you. Exactly right. So you, you said GDLA, Georgia Defense Lords Association. Yes. So you're a big dog over there. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think you're mad that you're over here at a plaintiff's lawyer's office no. chopping it up today. No. But I think that's important as a takeaway that we are on opposite sides of the cases. We all have jobs for our clients. That doesn't mean that we can't still be professional and collegial and friendly and do something like this. Correct. Yeah, no, a lot of, I mean, most of my friends are plaintiff's lawyers and they're actually got plaintiff lawyers, a lot of them. And so, yeah, you've got to be friends with both sides because otherwise it just won't work. You got to get along. You've got to be friends. You've got to be able to go to dinner. If I played golf, I'd golf. But I'm waiting for y'all to let me just drive the golf cart one day. So that's what my wife likes to do. She, I, I've invited her to play golf all the time, but she and my daughter Isabella, like they'll come along and just play golf. I mean, I mean, just drive the cart. Jason has not asked me just no. to drive. Jason, the cart. Jason, ask her. Come on, man. I'll make you look bad by saying that Dana comes with me. <laughs> you can tell Tony needs to tell me I can drive the cart too. There you go. Tony, Jason, listen. Um, so you mentioned the younger lawyers too. Like how what's the balance that can be that you strike introducing them to to stuff in the cases, depositions, trials, things like that? When the when the insurance companies, the clients say hire you because they have the relationship with you, they want you to work on their cases, but it's impossible for you to do everything. I always had I always struggle with like how to bring along a more junior lawyer and how to train them and how to still stay within guidelines of insurance companies. Like what's the, what's the secret? They're really in a secret. Mainly we bring, I try to bring the younger lawyers in and let them do like this morning depositions where we already have the limited liability release sign. I will let them sit in on every single thing in that case, the doctor depots, because the UM counsel in theory should be taking the lead. So I let them sit on the plaintiff's depot, the doctor's depot and everything like that, as long as we know that the UM counsel is taking the lead. And then if not, then like they will go to probably three-ish or so depots with us of like a doctor depot, a plaintiff depot, witness depot, see how it's done. And then we flip it and then I will go with them and watch them take it. And then we'll meet when they're done, you know, you have a break. Do we need to ask any more questions? Right. I go out with them and then see what they need help with. Right. And part of that is a, is a decision with the firm to make an investment and in knowing that probably some of that billable time is lost. Right. Right. I mean, that's one thing that when I was doing work, it was like, you can't bill for two lawyers doing the same task, but the firm really, as you just described, like needs to do that to be able to bring these folks along. So that's an investment in y'all's time that you know is not going to be paid. Correct. So if I'm going, it would be I, my time gets eaten and they're doing it or I'll bill my time and then her time's gone. So yes. Right. And then the same with what about like paralegals? Like what's the what's the way that you're bringing paralegals along? Because really, and I've said this before, I've had paralegals on here like, a good paralegal will make it. A bad paralegal will break it. So you really, I mean, we rely on paralegals a lot. Oh my gosh. If my paralegal left me, I'd cry right now. Literally. <laughs> yeah, you hear that if you're listening? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Amy, I would cry. So Amy and Paula, I would cry if y'all left me. But um, yes, good paralegals, irreplaceable. It's just hard to find. They've got to know what they're doing. And we've struggled 
training in paralegals because it's hard to teach them and getting people to come in. That's the hardest people to get to want to come in the office are paralegals. We've struggled with finding paralegals who will come into the office to learn because they think they can learn remote. That's the hardest part is getting them to come in to learn. Right, right. Now, I, I ask this question of a lot of people, and you, you know, I'm, I'm also interested in this very much. So it's like, you're a manager, you're a lawyer, you're all these different things in the law firm. Like, how do you look at your day and or your week or your month? Like, how am I going to accomplish all these different functions? It's hard to do it all. Uh, I just day by day, day by day. And I will say I have a great support staff. And I mean, and Jason, and I'm, in all honesty, we really do make a good team. Whereas I, I wasn't joking. He cooks every night. I don't cook, but that's partially because they say I suck, but I don't think I'm a bad cook. But my children, everybody's like, Daddy's not home. He's not cooking Are we tonight. doing a tonight? <laughs> that's exactly what they asked me. And I'm like, no. Nah. So that's really helpful. I've had Toyota, who's been with me since I've worked full-time my whole life. I've had the best suite. She's like the second mom to my children. She's worked with us for Caden, my oldest, our oldest daughter's 15. She's been with us since she was born. So I've had her for 15 years. My world wouldn't run without her. So, You mentioned you and Jason are a good team. Um, I mean, I think that it's it's understood. I don't know if I mentioned it, but y'all are married and you're law partners. Um, you know, I, Dana works at, at, at my firm as well. We work together. People are always like, how do you work with your wife? Like, that's crazy. I mean, I'm sure y'all get that question all the time. The best question is when people are like, do you carpool to work? I'm like, no, we don't carpool to work. No. That's actually a good question. I've never thought to ask you guys that. People ask you all the time, they're like, do you carpool? I'm like, no, I have my own things to do. Like, no, we are yeah. not carpooling. Yeah, you have your own schedule. You got <laughs> yes. you, you do the morning hit. That, that's actually an interesting thing. So what if y'all were about to leave at the same time? Like, no. all right, I'll see you there. No, yeah, I'll see you there. No. The only time we will maybe carpool, and it usually ends up as a disaster, is if we have a function to go to after work and we're going together. That's the only time, maybe. Otherwise, never. That's a funny question. Now, how about at dinner? Are y'all talking about work or cases or firm stuff? Because that's one thing that me and Dane were like, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bring it home. We try not to, but of all things, oddly, we don't see each other all day long. I don't see him. Like today, he popped in my office for one second. I was on the phone. I was like, you got to go. Yeah, get out of here, dude. Yeah. So we don't see each other all day. So sometimes we will talk. Well, I would say all the time we talk about work for maybe a smidge, 30, 45 minutes when we get home. Mm-hmm. And then that's it because we just don't see each well, other. Well, y'all are also kind of, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of handling different types of cases, right? Correct. Um, I mean, I, my case I have with you are, you know, it's a minimum limits policy and we're getting a release and doing the UM stuff or whatever, or there's a bad faith component to it before you got involved. His are more, you know, straight kind of injury cases and so am i right y'all yes. kind of doing different things i pretty much do predominantly pre-suit litigation unless the litigation requires somebody to come in and help keep the verdict down jason is solely litigation he hardly does anything pre-suit or time demand wise all right so for those listening that don't know what that means pre-suit litigation obviously that's before a lawsuit is filed but what what happens from day of wreck? These are mostly car wreck cases or truck wreck cases. So what happens between day of wreck and you know lawsuit where you'd get involved to try to you know carry out whatever's needed from the insurance company? So basically, the insurance company looks at the police report, figures out whether or not if it's twenty five fifty hundred three hundred million, whether or not their limits are exposed. If their limits are exposed, it gets sent to me to resolve as soon as possible to protect the insured and settle as many of the claims as possible. So I may be settling claims 30 to 60 days out before 
lawyers are involved, hopefully, or even if the lawyers are involved, before they even understand that the other claimants are just as seriously injured to get it all resolved as quickly as possible to protect the whoever caused the accident. Right. And so what that what that means is that, you know, John Doe causes wreck and he has he or she has a, a policy that's got, like I said, twenty five thousand dollars maximum limits per person, 50 for the entire event or 100 and 300. And, and the insurance company looks at it and they say, this person killed someone, they broke someone's leg, they seriously, whatever. And this case is, the value is worth way more than what this policy is. The insurance company's obligations is only to pay up to what those limits are, right? Correct. And I think from the plaintiff's side, that's what I spend a lot of time talking to my clients about, is that regardless of how much your medical bills are, or how badly you're hurt, the insurance company only has an obligation to pay $25,000 or $100,000 or a million, hopefully that is what they have. Doesn't happen very often. Not um, often. Yeah. And so when we say um, like a bad faith situation, is that when the insurance company doesn't take that opportunity to pay their limits and try to resolve something where they otherwise should have? It's in the bad faith situation. No offense to the plaintiff's lawyers. I say it's them trying to set up the insurance company with all the conditions and things they're doing. Because at the end of the day, most of the insurance companies today are trying to do their best to protect the insured. Now, there definitely are situations where they've dropped the ball or they've screwed up, things like that. And that's and then I'm brought in in those situations as well to be like, hey, folks, y'all really screwed up. Like this, let's bring it in. Let me help you get this resolved as quickly as possible, damage control and get it done. But for the most part, the job is protect the insured, protect whoever caused the collision, and settle it as quickly as possible for them so that they don't have to deal with it. Because, I mean, if you kill somebody, it's traumatic. And by protecting them, saying that in exchange for us paying you these limits, whatever they are, you, you, the plaintiff and the plaintiff's lawyer, forego going after their personal assets or exposing them to a verdict that is way in excess of the coverage that they have. Which is the which is the obligation, right? I mean, Georgia law requires the insurance companies um, to protect their insureds, and that's where you come in, right? Yes. And then when they don't, how's that conversation go? You're like, you guys kind of messed up on this one. Like, I have several in my office where I tell them, "Look, you screwed up," and that's I think people knock on what I hope, most of the people I hope value my opinion on. Hey. There's exposure here. It wasn't done as clean as I like now. Was it wrong? Did you commit bad faith? Did you put, and by bad faith, did they put the insurance company's interest over the insured? Did they do that? Not necessarily, but is it clean? Probably not. Therefore, they have, I'm like, you got to get it done. Pay it out. So yeah. what's what's the strategy at that point to try to backtrack and say, I should say backtrack, but just say, hey, look, we, we now want to pay these limits or we now want to agree to these conditions, wherever it might be. I try to do that, but then at the same time, the strategy is to evaluate the case, get a true value of the case, and then we'll they'll do a business risk analysis, and we try to go resolve it, mediate it as quickly as possible. And then it's a business decision, because if we lose and we're wrong, you're hit for millions of dollars. Which y'all's firm also does, right? Like, sometimes you got to be the one that stands up in court and kind of takes the, I mean, bullet for lack of a yeah. better word, right? Like, I know Jason tried a case a couple months ago where he's like... I'm just trying to keep the verdict down. We tried one. Jason and I actually tried our first case ever together this summer. And it was a six-year-old who was deceased. And we got hit for $14 million. But what are you going to do? Right? It's like, what are you going to do? I mean, that's that's the thing is every trial has its own set of goals, right? For the plaintiff side, it's kind of like we know what the goal is. It's 
get as much money for a client as we can. But sometimes y'all walk into trials, you're like, we can't win this. Like we we ran the red light, we killed so and so. Um, we've tried to offer the money and there's not enough to resolve it. And then you just stand there and just kind of take the punches, right? Correct. So what's the strategy when you walk into a courtroom knowing that that's kind of what the goal is? The strategy is to minimize it as possible and realize your faults. Realize, like in that case, we realized we killed a six-year-old. There was We didn't dispute liability. You didn't dispute how we caused the accident. We killed a six-year-old. And you play the truth. You just got to be honest. At the end of the day, it's like your parents always say, honesty will always win. You got to be honest and be honest with the jury, and then they'll respect you. If you're not honest and you're lying or trying to play a game, they're not going to listen to you. I've always found that the lawyers that take the approach like you guys do, thats I don't want to try cases against them or against you guys. It's the ones that deny, 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 deny. You're just like, uh, okay, you can try to deny that you ran this red light, but you did. And everybody knows that you're better off hat in hand being like, we met, we messed up. You know, we're, we, we, this shouldn't have happened or whatever it might be. And those verdicts always end up being held down, which like you said, is the goal. So you call the insurance company and you're like, hey, verdict for X, like, X million dollars, like we did it. We did as good as we could, right? I mean, that's exactly that's yeah. what it is, right? Which is kind of wild to think about. And then are y'all involved in any like the post stuff with appeals or bad faith litigation down the road or second trials or? Very rarely. We have a few, but very rarely. Usually Jason and I do the underlying case and mm-hmm. we're brought in to keep the underlying case down, those verdicts down. Very rarely do we do the second phase. The other type of case that me and you've had together is where bad wreck happens and there's just a lot of people involved. Yes. You know, there's either multiple cars or there's four people in one car and three in the other. And you got this pot of money and you're like, Hey guys, I got hundred thousand dollars or $300,000. We want to tender it to y'all, but we got to figure out how to do it. Correct. Or we hit school buses with 40 kids on it. Do you have any stories of just like pot of money, tons of kids, tons of claimants? Like how do we even begin to try to chop this up? It's not. I mean, basically, you try to chop it up based on injuries, but sometimes they kill school buses and kids. We, I had a strength uh, like six to eight months where we hit. I had a client that had insurance that hit. I swear, a school bus a week, and there would be an accident. And we were like, "Oh my god, please don't be ours. Please don't be ours." You just divide it up by the kids. I mean, it's awful to say, but there's no way if there are forty kids on a bus and there's fifty thousand dollars, it's what a grand each. What do you do? Yeah. So, but I mean, I had a mediation recently. Um, were you involved? You might have been involved in the underlying part. It was an Uber case. I think you were involved in the underlying part. And we had a pot of money, and the mediation was all the plaintiff's lawyers kind of negotiating and fighting and arguing amongst themselves. Like someone in your position had been like, here's the X dollars. If, if you can't figure out a way for everybody to sign off on it, then that's perhaps what happens, huh? Sort of. I kind of try to take. A little, it's a knock on wood. So far, it's worked. So hopefully, this podcast doesn't mess it up. But I kind of try to help take a mediator role and say, hey, I'm here for the insured. But at the same time, for the plaintiff's lawyers, we try to put everybody in the same boat with UM money and my money so that everybody has the same funds available to them. And then if not, I divide it up. And so far, people kind of listen to me, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's good. I mean, it's 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 what you want to do. I mean, in terms of getting no, like in those situations, no one quote wins. No right? one there, ever there, wins. There's no winners, and it's hard. It's hard for a plaintiff's lawyer to explain to their client like this is just the realities of the case. This is the realities of what you're looking at. Um, 
And maybe that's a big reason why insurance companies get bad, bad raps, right? I mean, people hate insurance companies. And there's, it's just unfortunate. I mean, there's just never going to be enough money. Twenty-five, fifty is just, I mean, the limits are what they are. But even 100, 300, if you have two dead people, that's just not enough. Yeah. Like, there's never going to be, no matter what the limits are, enough money to fix it. What about, and this might be an unfair question, but the insurance companies that are just denying coverage left and right, non-permissive user, or didn't give permission to drive, or no license, y'all get involved in those situations? We do for some carriers, but I will tell you, the carriers, if we're involved in it, it's got to be a very strong denial. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's just not worth the risk to deny coverage. If there's a question, we say you don't deny it. It's just not worth the risk. There are some carriers, and I'm not going to name them, but you would you would know they are. Like That just seems to be their business model. And they force plaintiff lawyers to make the decision and, and injure people. Like, are we going to go and file the lawsuit and get the judgment and do all these things? Like, Is that a strategy? It's not with who I represent, frankly. <laughs> not, 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 not my people. Not, not going to be anything that you're going to tell them to do. Because uh, we try to avoid that because the risk is too big. I would tell the carrier it's too big unless you know there's additional funds out there or something. Coverage denial, if we're denying coverage with serious injury, it's got to be rock solid before yeah. I let somebody deny it. And then you start talking about like deck actions, declaratory judgments. I mean, those things make my head hurt. Um, y'all are really good at that. I mean, I know that that's something that when called upon, y'all have been on both sides of those things. So explain to people what a declaratory judgment action is. A declaratory judgment action is an action where the judge and or jury decides if there's coverage. And so that's where there's kind of like a small question of if somebody lived with somebody or if they had permission to use the vehicle and they decide that. And if the outcome of that determines coverage, if somebody had the permission to drive the vehicle, if some girlfriend actually gave the boyfriend permission, the girlfriend's mad at the boyfriend now. She's like, no, I didn't. And then she really did. There becomes this whole mini trial over a, an issue in the case that determines if that this policy applies or not. It's wild how these cases can just take all these different turns and, and twists and you know, from a lawyer perspective, all that stuff, like, uh-uh, we just want we just want the coverage to be there and okay. get it good. Um, you still like working for insurance companies? I mean I do. Yeah. I do. I mean, for the most part, knock on what everybody's been nice to us and they we all work together as a team and they listen and I listen and it kind of We've done it long enough together with them. I've been with the same adjuster, some of the adjusters, 20 plus years. Got the rapport with them, and it's great. What, do, what are the misconceptions people have of insurance adjusters? That they don't care. Yeah. And they and some, I will say there are some that don't, but I'd say most of them do care, do try to evaluate the case appropriately. There are a lot that don't, but most of the seasoned adjusters do care and want to do the right thing. And they really do. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I try to be very kind to adjusters. They're very overworked. They have a lot going on in their head. They want to do the right things. People are mean as hell to them. Well, I, if you're not nice to them, you're not going to get paid. That's what I think <laughs> so, too. But that doesn't stop a lot of people that I know that will just chew their asses out. Does that does that then make its way to you? Where it's like, like we offered this person nothing or we did not because they just they were just there jerks. Definitely lawyers out there that will get a lower settlement because the plaint because the adjuster doesn't like them. Yeah. That their case will be not undervalued, but there are lawyers that may be like, oh, we like him. We're not gonna worry about him. We'll give him an extra grand or two that he asked for just to make him go away. Yeah. Per se. Not really that way, but they'll be getting the funds easier because they've been nice to people. It's human nature, right? I mean, and I I imagine I'm not gonna speak for you, but when you're negotiating with someone who you like, like you wanna 
push a little bit harder to try to get them the result versus like, screw this person. Like, I, mean, I know you got treated by this, the same fairly, but it's human nature, right? Correct. Yeah, it's, definitely is. And I'd say over the years, most of the plaintiff's lawyers and I, like, if I have your cell phone, that's a good thing. That means you're never going to be left out of a multiple competing call, things like that. If I don't, you need to figure out how we need to get it. You need to start sending them to me so yeah. I can find you. So you can find you, yeah. Track you down. When that time comes out, it's like, look, we have this amount of money. We're tendering an area. You need, you need to be there. That's good. Now, marketing is another thing that your firm has to focus on, right? Like you got, you've had these clients forever, but as y'all get bigger, you've got to continue to, to retain clients, get new ones. How do you view kind of that component to the job? Marketing's more of just making sure adjusters are happy, putting our name out there. We do a lot of fun events. We do like the Braves Derby home run. We do a lot of charity stuff. We do the home run derby for the Braves, but a lot of charity stuff like their golf tournaments for the boys and girls club they do. Um, there's a veterans golf club we do for the guy who washes all the cars in our um, complex. He play, He's a veteran and he does golf tournaments. So we sponsor him for his golf tournaments. And then so different things we do that most of our marketing is through charitable contributions and fundraisers and stuff and sponsorships. I appreciate y'all inviting me uh, to the Jeff Frank or home run derby over. You mentioned the, the brave stuff that that uh, brought me back to, you know, the days of, of baseball. So that was cool. Um and y'all do concerts and, and things like that. I mean, I remember a Rolling Stones, Zach Brown band y'all went to. We do. We're doing the George Strait, Carrie Underwood, Little Bill Town, and Willie Nelson. I'm pretty excited about that one. I just uh, got some Eric Church tickets for this week. Whiskey Myers. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and then that, I guess you and Jason can go together, right? Like there's things y'all can do and it's fun. And people, people that don't enjoy marketing, like I kind of feel like not feel bad for them, but like make it fun and do things that you enjoy. And that's how you foster relationships. And I don't know. I think it works for everybody. It's fun. We like to do the marketing, like, and we like to take the clients out to dinner and the go have dinner and drinks and happy hours. And then especially, and then like the firm will take our staff. We try to do something every three months with the staff, do something fun with them that they like. So Yeah. Yeah. Y'all do a good job of, 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 of including the staff and including your, your paralegal and stuff. I mean, I've, I've gone to y'all's party over at Lassiter's, you know, for Christmas and everybody's having a great time. That's part of the culture that y'all have put together. And that's, I think it's so important. Yeah, so we have Thanksgiving. We'll be at the Big Easy. I'll be there if I'm invited. You're invited. Everybody's always invited. Everybody's okay. already invited. But y'all, y'all not uh, y'all now. Y'all got firm, uh, offices outside the state of Georgia too. We do. We have a lot of different offices of the of Council Network or independent contracting. You can fix that on it of Council Network. There's like nine other states. That's amazing. So are you traveling all those places sometimes? Some of them I go to, but for the most part, we have another partner, Dave castreva that handles them and he deals with all that and organizes it and keeps them up and running and flowing so that's important too to keep the culture consistent across state lines which i imagine that can that can pose challenges but y'all have done a good job of that too we're, we're trying there the of council people from the different states we meet them we try to do the zoom but it's hard to meet in person in different states but we had one lawyer come in and visit us from out of state and we he hung out and we Took him out and played and had a good time. Yeah, I love it. All right, last thing on the work stuff. We we talked on it briefly in the beginning about treating people the right way professionally. Your yeah, the way you deal with plaintiff's lawyers, the way I try to deal with defense lawyers. Like, what's your advice to people that are younger? That are like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, are we fighting? Are we getting along? Like, what's the what's the right way to go about it? The right way, you just always need to get along. Be nice to them. Be polite. Be sweet. There's no reason why you shouldn't be doing like we're doing now, hanging out. There's no reason 
why you don't take them to dinner, why you don't go out, why you don't hang out. If you know somebody, you know their personality, what they like to do, you're going to get along. Just be nice to people. Have fun with them. And they can be your friends. Like we did the running of the bulls with the plaintiff's lawyer, Chris Simon. Chris and my husband, Jason, actually ran with the bulls. I was At first, I was like, oh, it's fine. And then I saw it. Oh, my God. Like 10 feet in front of, like, Jason, somebody got gored. And I dropped my phone. I was like, this is just not okay. All right. I got to stop you right there. Um, first, I got to say, people listen to what Ann just said. Anybody out there that is trying to find their way and learning their way around, like get along with people, do exactly what Ann just said. So I'm going to do a period hard stop there. Breath, starting new one, uh, running with the bulls. That was something I want to bring up with you guys, with you, because I know that you and Jason did that a couple of years ago. Um, was that something that was like bucket list, always wanted to do it, or it was just like, hey, let's go. No, it was oddly something I always wanted to do. I just never wanted to run. Okay. And then it ended up that out of the blue, Chris Simon was going and his wife, Sharon, was pregnant with twins. And he was like, well, she has to have a balcony. And I was like, well, okay, we have a room with a balcony. And Chris was like, no, you don't. I was like, no, I really do. Like that was my- That was part of your thing. That was part of my thing. And I told the travel agent, I was like, no, I'm not running. I need a balcony. And so Sharon and I stood at the balcony and watched Chris and his son and Jason run and his daughter. And I mean, I've never seen anything like the hundreds of thousands of people. And the street is so narrow. So many, I have so many questions. This is in Pamplona. Yes. And is there an itinerary where you call a travel agent like this? I want to do. And they say, all right, show up like X days before and this is leading up to it. Or is it just I mean, what, what it's a certain number of days, and so we showed up on whatever day of running, but it's nothing you've ever seen. It takes okay. Mardi Gras to a new level, to an entirely new level. Like the room we had had the best, I mean, the soundproof doors or whatever, but you still heard the bands. Marching bands were still going at 4 a.m. all night long, all night. Like they never stopped. It, there was not even a two hour window where they stopped. They partied. What are they celebrating? Don't have a clip. It's like um, the San Fermin Festival, or we don't even know. We're, I have we're, absolutely we don't, we don't, no idea. We don't even know. We're going though. I was going, uh, and I know they were all white and with red. Okay. So, does, so Jason and, and Chris, who's a plaintiff's lawyer, do you have to sign up? To, yeah, or you, you just, just like show up. I'm here. You just show up in this arena area off, and you run from like point A to this other re- arena, point B. And Chris knew where to like peel off to the right. He's done it before. He'd done it before, and that's the only reason I was like, okay, you can do it. Is there a starting line? Yeah, yeah. There's a huge starting line, and they sound the horn. And then there's oddly enough two sets of bulls. There's like the first set, and then there's a tamer set or vice versa that comes in after. So, yes. And then you, they have these men with sticks that keep like prodding the bulls to keep them going forward and running straight. Is it a is it a one time thing like they they're running this time of day? This oh, yeah. One 8 a.m. 8 a.m. And then it's done. And it's done. And it's done. And they party. Everybody just parties till the next morning when they do it again. And they run for, I think, seven days, maybe. There's a certain number of days they run. And then when they get in the arena, they do the whatever fighting. I did not do that because that's apparently really gory. How's uh, Jason's and Chris Simon's 40 time? Uh, <laughs> it's not the best. Not the best? But they made it. They made it. They made it. Neither one got hurt other than Jason got pushed against the wall and scraped up. But neither one got hurt. By the that. bull or by the crowd? Crowd. Okay. I can, I imagine the crowd is probably just as dangerous, not oh more God. than the bull. Yeah. So dangerous. So if they fall, you're down. You're trampled. You're done. You're done. You said someone got go- Gore. gored? Yes. Does that means they got <laughs> the horn went up them somewhere and like hit them. And what happened to that person? 
the nothing. He got trampled and then they got taken away. <laughs> and people do this for fun. This is just this Ask is Jason. Thing. He did it for fun. He was like, I was like, you're never doing that again. Like, nah. So yeah, you cross it off the list and you're done. I'm not. Well, Chris is still doing it. But no, I'm not. Jason is not doing it so again. So talk about this balcony sit situation. Set up, you got... Your food, your drink, your view. It's a you can small just... balcony. So we had drinks in the room. And mm -hmm. then, but it's 8 a.m. Like literally, you've been out till midnight the night before and you're up and showered and dressed for the day again at 8 a.m. So there's not a ton of drinking at 8 a.m. And there's really no food. And well, for me, I'm the worst food eater. So all I ate was cheese fries the whole day. You're, you're in Spain and cheese fries, all you can come up with? Pretty much. Or a pavlona. That's all I came up does, with. Does this go with a lack of cooking? The food doesn't do it for you either? Pretty much. <laughs> so That's great stuff. Um, and then y'all there for like the week or how long? Like what's a good amount of time to be there for Rain with the Wolves? Two days. Two days, all you need. That's it. Okay. That's it. We did Barcelona before then, Pamplona, and then we did a wine country on the way out. Two days is it. I'm sitting here thinking, like, are they making people sign waivers before they go? No, there? they're just going. They, what they did, I don't know about. They did say the one thing of interest is you did have to be a certain age. And if you let your child run and they weren't that age, you lost custody of the kid. No Something kidding. like that, yes. Was that just a Spanish rule? Or could they can't take custody of a— I wouldn't think they could yeah. U.S., but it was definitely a hard rule that you My lost. La last question, does, does the runners, Jason, Chris, they have to wear a certain— outfit or everybody wears white with the red flat yeah. red but then if there were big groups they would have a different color instead of red like some people had green and that group was all together yellow yeah um stick with deer valley maybe that sounds like a safer safer way to go and that y'all ski place yes did you know i worked there no i worked no. in deer valley for nine months between height between college and law school everybody says i want to go work on a colorado ski town you did it i did it Yes, I was well, a cocktail waitress. Cocktail waitress at one of like the mountain bars, restaurants? At Deer Valley. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, so when you come off the bottom slope and those hideous vests you see, they had the same vest 20 plus years yeah. ago I was a, or more. I was a cocktail waitress at Deer Valley. See, the things you learn on this podcast. And everybody everybody. loved me because I couldn't ski. So I showed up every day because I never skied. Because you ever broken a bone or anything like everybody else was in the hospital? I for just don't like skiing. It's cold. So my sister's the same way. Like she likes to go skiing, but she just likes to go and like do the outfits and sit and have the drinks and sit in the cabins and all that kind of stuff. So all these years, still not skiing. I mean, I ski like now a little bit with the kids, but no, it's not like I'm excited to go skiing. No. Yeah, Dana is less and less excited about the skiing every year we go. No. And there's even a picture of me. I was a ski school instructor for one day, maybe two days, because no one else could deal with the kids. And oddly enough, I'm actually decent with children that aren't my own and have patience with them. So I did ski school one day and I taught ski school for one, maybe two days. Speaking of children, not your own um, and your own children, uh, volleyball mom and also a cheer mom two girls. Yes. Um, I'm a volleyball dad, love volleyball. It's loud. It's a lot going on in there. I've heard the cheerleading stuff is next level. Cheerleading definitely is a next level. They have outfits and which are fine. I love my outfits. I've learned to, my oldest daughter has taught me to learn to embrace my younger daughter's outfits and the sequins and the matching attire. I'm getting there. When you mean outfits, you mean like the parents have outfits. Oh, yeah. We have, parents outfits. have outfits. Oh, we have outfits. Uh, my boy, Brian Karen. have you seen him at any of these events dressed up? Because he is the cheer dad of all cheer dads. 
I don't think his team has done the outfits as much as mine. How do we go about making sure his team does that? Uh, we can find him. I can get him a shirt that says I'm a cheer dad or something. We got to get one of those. Oh, yeah. Because this daughter's really good. Oh, yeah. She, no, she's amazing. Um, she's amazing. How about how about Jason? What kind of cheer dad <laughs> gear does he have? Jason rolls in with, it's because cheerleading's two minutes and 36 seconds to be exact. And we're there for seven or six hours mm-hmm. all day. So Jason usually, if I can't, if I am there, Jason comes in right before it starts, is there, does the videos, videos, the children. So you're video. you're kind enough to give them like the play-by-play, like, okay, it's going to be in 10 minutes or 15. Well, the night, I will say that's the best part about cheerleading. They send out the schedule down to the minute and it is on track. So they'll send the schedule. They'll say their team perform warms up at 1137, performs at 1203. And no joke at 1203, they're on. And they follow it, huh? And they follow it. Because volleyball, they'll say they'll play a game at one, at two, and three. But that's that stuff is never running on time. Yeah. Cheerleading runs on time. Well, I guess they've got the music, the sounds, the the routines are set. And so as long as they just keep the, the girls going, the kids going. Um, so the what do the kids do during all that seven hours? Like, could you come just for the two minutes, 36 seconds as well? Probably not. Because yeah. she wants somebody there. So they warm up. We sit well. They get there an hour early. If you're not a makeup mom like me, you have to have people help her with the makeup because it's a lot of makeup. A lot of makeup. A lot of hair stuff. A lot of hair stuff, which I'm getting better at. Yeah. They do that. They warm up, perform, and then you sit for hours to figure out if you win. And unfortunately, we don't win. So you sit waiting for the performance, you watch your two minutes, 36 seconds, and then you sit and wait to see if you've won. Now, Brian's told me that he hasn't figured out yet the scoring or how you win or what means what. You don't know. Like, there's no scoreboard. No, there's no scoreboard. You don't really get told. You get emailed it maybe if you really care and ask. But no, it's kind of like gymnastics. You're the team starts off with a point value level, like a gymnast floor routine starts off with a you know, a 10 or and if you do extra things, it starts off. So your point value starts off and then it's deducted. So if your team point value, no matter what's not as high as the first team's point value, you're never going to win. Yeah. So it's all about point value. My daughter never did cheerleading. We never did swim team either. Swim team's got a similar reputation. Correct. It's like you, diving. You, you kind of wait all day and then you have your, your, you know, your two minutes. I never did that. I didn't think I'd ever be doing it either. Yeah. But here I am. How do you compare the volleyball parents and the cheer parents since you have a front row view of both? The volleyball parents are a little more tame. Yeah. But not much. Depending on where the tournaments you're at, the volleyball parents have all have their little pom-poms and bells and uh-uh. It's just loud in volleyball tournaments. It and, is I, and, loud. I, and I love it because it's so fast and it's so I'm starting wearing ear earphones. That's what I was gonna say. The now. volleyball parents all have earphones, earplugs, or the Bluetooth things in their ears. Whereas the cheer parents, they all want to talk to you and like chit chat. Yeah. Um, we got to get some gear for Jason and some gear for Brian. Definitely. Like, th- like that needs to be like, that's got to happen. So need some pictures on that. Um, Braves fan, y'all are season ticket holders. We sh- we, sh- we share tickets together. Um, my opinion, the seats that, that y'all have had for years are the best seats in the house. Like I like the Delta seats. Obviously, they're great. But y'all's and, fin- and, you know, the table and the infinity section, love it. I love the table. The table is my key. Because you can talk to everybody. Like if you're in the normal seats, it's hard to talk to the person on the end, whereas the table, it's a semicircle. You can talk to everybody. And oh, then totally. And then my, our youngest loves it because when it's hot, when she was younger, she would hide under the table oh. and watch it through the rails underneath it. 
So interesting strategy. I've not not heard that one, but yes. you know, Braves games are, are great for getting together people. But like you said, if you end up sitting down originally in seat four and someone is in seat one, that's just where you'll end up. Like you ain't talking to that person. Correct. Like, and, 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 like you ain't, it's just not going to happen. Um, in the table situation, everybody is engaged in the conversation. Everybody's engaged if you take clients. And then even if you have other people that get tickets in the same section, there's so much room behind you that they can still come up and talk. Come to over and, and talk and you can go into the, the club area. It's just great. Now, the draft for tickets is always an interesting thing. You have a very particular way that you choose your games. I do. And I, Jason is not happy with me this year. He said I didn't pick good games, but I went to the draft this year because I wanted Mother's Day, and then they didn't have Mother's Day this year. The Braves were out of town. So then I picked the tickets based on the bobbleheads. Based on bobbleheads. Based on the bobbleheads and which bobbleheads. And then I had one game that I gave the tickets away, and they promised me they'd bring me the bobbleheads. Took a little while, but I got my bobblehead. That was the Outcast game, right? Yes, I got my Outcast bobblehead. I wasn't happy, but I got it. So I think I disagree with Jason. I think that's a great strategy. I mean, Tuesday night versus the Marlins, you don't know if it's going to be a good game. Thursday versus the Phillies, like I get the Cubs are big, Dodgers are big, some some Yankees they come in. But other than that, like go bobblehead. Yeah, we went bobblehead because the first part of the season, our kids were doing soccer and cheerleading and camps, and so we couldn't go. And so now I loaded up, I guess, apparently – Toward the end, we have the bobblehead tomorrow night. Do you display these bobbleheads in your house? Is it is it a thing in the office? Check out Jason's office. There well, are more bobbleheads and sports stuff. Well, he loves memorabilia. He actually introduced me to the Fanatics guy who I use now. So I appreciate that. But he steals your bobbleheads? Like you you, you plan to go and then he takes them? Well, because otherwise, how do you pick a game? Like I don't know enough about – I mean, I know enough. But, so I like the bobbleheads. So he'll get one. And if we take the family, then everybody gets everybody one. Everybody gets one. Yeah. Or and it's just like tomorrow night, it's just the two of us going with some friends. Then we'll get two, and I'll take one for the kids, and he takes one for his office. We're recording this September 18th. This will be published September 21st. So we got the Ronald Acuna bobblehead coming up, right? Yes. That's a good one. It is. So I told, like, we had, we're inviting some friends, and he's like, well, I can't get there till 6 or 8. I say, well, you're going to have to go on your own because you're going to miss the bobblehead. Yeah, sorry. We'll, we'll be there in line with the first however many thousand people. He was, Do you have a favorite bobblehead? Not, I liked the Outcast one. I do say I like the Outcast one. But other than that, not really. It's just more of a, I will say I bought into the gimmick and the gimmick of doing it and another reason to go to the game. People love it. I was, I went to lunch on the Outcast day, Bobblehead day, just coincidentally down at the battery. And I left lunch, I don't know, one o'clock, one thirty. People were already lined up. Yes. To get those bob to get that that outcast bobblehead. And which I did was pretty get, awesome, by the way. Yes. And I did get my outcast bobblehead. You did get it. I did. Yeah. I did. I got two. I got the one from the person in our group. And then my daughter had felt so bad. She bought me one off of eBay. Oh. I was very it was super See, sweet. Ra- raising them right. Very good. Uh all right, postseason coming up. You guys can get tickets. What's the Braves' chances for another deep run into October? I mean, I'd assume they'll do well, but again, it's like the Braves in Georgia. I'm not about to make a prediction on what's going to happen. They should do well, but I'm if I say they are, I'm do, I'm we're done. You'll be there though. I'll I be mean, there. I mean, y'all went to the World Series games a couple of years ago, and I know you'll go again this year. So I, you know, I, I th- hope. I th- I think that I think that baseball is so random. Um, the best team doesn't always win, but. Uh, Look, those World Series games a couple of years ago could not have been more fun to be there. Um, so let's just fingers crossed that uh, yes. get a chance again. So um, I had a good time with this doing this. Uh, and shouldn't it be nervous? 
makes you nervous to talk. <laughs> well, could have fooled me. I had, a, I had a good time. Do we anything we miss or we hit all the high points? I think we hit it all. We hit it all. We're good to go. You I feel think, good about it? I think we're good. All right. I love it. Look, always good to see you. Always fun to talk. Um, I love getting the perspective from the defense side. I do have a heavy guest list of plaintiff's lawyers. That's just who I know better. Um, have a heavy list, a guest list of males too. So it's good to get a female on here. Like I love hearing the perspective of of a female because um, I'm you know there's I mean, the numbers are just aren't there in terms of the lawyers. I mean, do you feel like do you feel that do you do you feel it affect uh, impacts the way you do your job? I, I will say it doesn't impact the way I do my job. I will say there are a lot of female lawyers that come across rougher or brazen or more hostile. I think they need to stop and realize that if you're, it's just, again, goes back to just being polite, being you, you'll be okay. Yeah. Just be polite, be you, know what you're talking about, and you're going to be okay. Just, just. Throwing out good advice after good advice after good advice. So I appreciate it. But uh, I know everybody enjoyed this episode. I certainly did. Thank you all for listening. Uh, a few quick favors. If you if you did enjoy what we're doing here, please tell a friend. Um, leave a five-star review. Make a comment. I don't know. Just engage, right? What do the kids say? Like, subscribe, and comment. You can subscribe, too. That's good also. Um, we have this on video and, too, so you can wave the video. Hi. We are starting that this year, so that'll be on the Jay Stein Law Firm YouTube page. Assuming it all works well. I don't know if it will or not, but we're trying. Hope so. Um, hiding our beers over here that we're drinking. Um, but all that is great stuff. So thank you all for listening. And um, as always, until next time, keep chopping. Keep chopping.